If you would like to support the podcast and get some extra content while you're there, head on over to patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast and sign up. From the rewatch to the Q&A, we will have loads of content every week. So sign up, patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast. And now, here's the podcast. Graham McDonald is an idiot. Sean Sheehan of severemma.com. He even has the audacity to call himself the quote-unquote pod god. This is Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. The Severe MMA podcast is finally here. Welcome to the Severe MMA podcast. Here's your host, Sean Sheehan. Welcome, welcome, everybody. It's episode 320 of the Severe MMA podcast. By God, we've been doing this a long time. My name is Sean Sheehan, joined today by the Anthony Pettis of Irish MMA Media, Graham MacDonald, as we discuss an interesting week in the world of mixed martial arts uh, from an Irish point of view. Um, lots of big fights and big fights coming up next week as well, so we have lots to talk about. But today, we must... Why, why, you, Anthony, why Anthony Pettis? Just you know before you, you crack on. Because Anthony Pettis is up in front of me right here back in the day uh, uh-huh. I, I was uh, I entered a competition on uh, the MMA hour which will be coming back soon and I won a little Anthony Pettis uh, doll thing I'll, I'll put up a picture of it for people to see and New York Rick got my address and he sent me out Anthony Pettis and all and it's right here on my desk right behind my computer uh, looking at me so I was looking around who would I call you I actually have other ones as well that I've just like got myself a BJ Pino on a Tito Ortiz <laughs> What was the what was the MMA era competition about something to do with Nick Diaz that you entered? Am I Nick am I Diaz. remembering that correctly? I don't know. There was loads of them with me back in the day. Do you remember it was like a was pose? Like Nick Diaz mean mug face or something, was oh, it? Oh yeah, maybe. There was a Frank Mir one as well and Uriah Faber. There was loads of them. Some of them have been deleted from my Twitter. So people can go looking for them if they want. They'll probably find a few. There probably are still a few <laughs> there. But yeah, yeah. back in the day it's when uh, I was a fan of MMA coming through, you know, and... Uh, it was a lot of fun times, fun times, you know, um, we're still fans of MMA, of course, but um, yeah, anyway, before we get into MMA and all of that stuff, let's uh, give a shout out to Manscaped, the Olympics, the Euros, the major championships and concerts are all in this summer, you know what isn't? A wild, hairy bush. Tame your pubes with help from our friends at Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. Their third-generation's performance package includes the flagship lawnmower 3.0. If an athlete treats their body like royalty, why not treat your pubes like Olympic gold? Fellas, do right by your balls and join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com. Uh, for 20% off and use the code severe MMA. You got free shipping as well as that 20% off. I mean, Graham have been using them for a long, long time. And I believe there's some new stuff coming from Manscaped as well. So keep an eye out over the next uh, week or so. And you, you'll be hearing uh, a lot more from Manscaped. Some s- cool stuff coming. But the world is starting to open up. And the performance package 3.0 from Manscaped is here to help you get ready. The uh, lawnmower trimmer is absolutely unbelievable. The weird whacker ear and nose trimmer. The crop reserver. The ball deodorant. or crop reviver toner. Uh, plus the two free gifts. The boxer briefs and the shed shed travel bag. Talk about world-class dismount into post-quarantine world. This package is the perfect package for your package to meet performance in whatever sports you desire. Uh, The Lawnmower 3.0 is here to take you to the podium. The third generation trimmer has an unbelievable cutting-edge ceramic blade uh, with the skin-safe technology. 7,000 RPM in the motor LED light. They didn't mention it's waterproof too, of course it is, you can shave in the shower, less mess to clean up, just wash it away down through the middle. This package also comes with the weed whacker to chop the worst bits um, uh, from your nose and your ears as well, 9000 RPM, 360 degree rotary blade system. Um, the proper she proper 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 I can't say that word P R O P R I proprietary skin safe technology which helps from a pay us to do these reads what the fuck um, Nick snags and at, least, at least you know it's not pre-recorded and uh, bottled. <laughs> 
Canned, <laughs> canned content. Man, uh, after trimming your pubes, show them some sportsmanship with Manscaped's liquid formations, as I mentioned, a uh, preserver and a reviver as well. Manscaped also threw in two free gifts, um, the boxers and the shed bags. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code SEVEREMA, S-E-V-E-R-E-M-M-A at manscaped.com. Achieve pubic glory this year with manscaped right graham let's get straight into it and i suppose the, the biggest news of the week we, we've had a you know we, we'll get into the fights later on and actually we're recording some of this before the the ufc fight so i'll probably throw it over to shani to talk a little bit about those ufc fights as well but there's been um some very big news this week and all, like, a lot of the questions and stuff that has come in some of so far uh, for us have been about ian gary you know when an irish man signs for the ufc it's big news and when the the, per, the the guy the people are calling the next Conor McGregor, the next guy to come through. You know, we've had a bit of this, I suppose, with, I suppose in the early days, just as Conor McGregor was coming through, you had Pindred, you know, getting on the, the ultimate fighter and they were saying, oh, he's going to be the next Conor McGregor and you had Petty Hoolan and, you know, you had whoever else it might be, Paul Redmond coming through and you had James Gallagher in and Kiefer Crosby and everyone like that. And now there's... A lot, a lot of those are still going, especially James and and Kiefer and and everyone else like that. And uh, I've I've often said it to people: we we'll be it'll be very hard to get another Conor McGregor throughout the world. <laughs> never mind out of Ireland. Um, there, there will never, there will never be another. It was like you know what I mean. It was this perfect storm, and uh, people are always asking in Ireland, "Oh, who's the next McGregor? Who's the next McGregor?" But like you know, these guys are their own fighters. Like Ian Gary is is a completely different fighter than. Than Connor, Carl Pendred, you know, I actually remember reminding me there when you said, I was at, um, I can't even remember which, which fight it was. It, it might even been Che Mills and, and Carl Pendred in London, the Cage Warriors. Dublin. And, uh, I was at it. That was in Dublin, was it? yeah. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. no, no. There was one, there was one where he, I can't remember. He, he had a title fight in London at one stage. Um, I can't remember which one it was now. But I remember the, uh, one of the media guys in, in Media Row turning to me and being like, well, he, he he's nothing like Conor McGregor, and it's just like, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> he's obviously been reading these articles about like, oh, the next Conor McGregor or whatever, you know, like mm. Joe Dotty articles or, or these kind of things. So, uh, you know, it's always been a narrative. People, who, who's the next McGregor? And it's you know, it's easy to say, um, it's never going to happen again. Uh, but like, you know, it's never going to happen, or the the chances of it ever happening again are slim, and the chances of it ever happening again to an Irish person uh, is, you know. I don't know what the odds are, but they're they're very slim. Yeah, yeah, and I suppose look, it's a very different scene today. But the, I I didn't mean to get into like a, an ex Conor McGregor uh, thing there. But you know, Ian Gary, if anyone has done it in the way that he could become the next Conor McGregor, where he kind of organic organically grew with uh, the the things going around on WhatsApp and on social media before he even made his pro MMA debut with the amateur fights and all. And, you know, we were talking about him here in Severe and May and Niall and the lads were talking about him and everyone in the Irish scene was talking about him and those videos were going around. I interviewed him before he made his pro MMA debut to all the fights he's had, to looking so good, to beating Figlak, who has gone on to done some, do some great things, to winning the Cage Warriors belt, to, you know, that Imagine thing with his, uh, with his grandfather, to kind of Ariel getting on the, the bandwagon with him as well. If there is anyone on the way up who has the prospect of doing it, it's Ian Gary. He's done it in a very different way, but in a unique and kind of cool way at the same time as well, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. But I think it's important to kind of, you know, uh, stop making that association, you know, just let these guys be themselves. And I think it's important for them to be themselves as well, for people to kind of grow attached to them. If people think, oh, this guy's trying to be something else or, you know, uh, this guy's a a carbon copy or uh, of something else, then they're not going to be they're not going to be, you know, uh, on the bandwagon. I think a lot of, a lot of, a lot of people, um, in Ireland, you know, obviously kind of jumped on the bandwagon of, of MMA when it kind of exploded and a lot of them have fallen off now, but for Irish MMA's kind of uh, popularity going forward, somebody like Ian Gary, you know, going seven and now beating good guys, uh, being able to talk, like being a good media media or being, um, able to handle the media well and all that stuff is uh is, is huge because like you you need to have the fighting obviously but you need to have the the all-round game as well you need to be able to talk to the media make people interested and he's done that like we've been talking about him for a long time as you mentioned because people have wanted us to talk about him people are interested people are always 
you know, uh, excited when Ian fights. So obviously there's a lot of stuff going on, going on around him, like uh, before that cage where his world title. And I hope he has time to get everything sorted, get a, get a camp sorted, get settled in, you know, uh, all that stuff before he fights in the UFC because, you know, UFC uh, debut is no joke. We've seen, we've seen the, you know, the results sometimes be unexpected. Uh, guys sometimes have a bit of jitters or, you know, um, can can maybe not perform to their to their top. I don't think Ian Gary showed any signs of that, but yeah, there's definitely, um, you know, a lot of things I'd, I'd like to see sorted before he makes his UFC de- debut, but it's absolutely fantastic for him to get signed for the UFC and it's, it's yeah. great for Irish MMA and, the, you know, uh, Irish MMA needs needs guys coming into the, to the UFC and guys that are exciting prospects like this. Yeah, and like I feel like in Irish MMA as well. Over the last while, we've had you know we had the the wave coming through with, with you know Connor and Cahill and Ashling Daly and Paddy Hulan and all of those people and you know Norman just before them even I think it was and Gunny and you know Paul Redmond and Siri and everyone. I hope I'm not, I'm probably leaving out a few Joseph Duffy and Artem and the rest of them, but people kind of got worried because that had trying to shut down for a while and you know a lot of that was to do with you know straight Bellator gym as John Kavanagh called it all the the yeah. SPG guys going to Bellator but I think I think it was a little bit of an overreaction I think in Irish MMA um, because of like if you listen to Ian Gary I've spoken to him about it and he's spoken to uh, to Cage Warriors after his last fight about it Conor McGregor getting to where he got made Ian Gary get to where he got. You know, he inspired him. He brought him on. And there will be that generation coming through who, who are inspired by, by McGregor and will come through because of it. But I, I don't want to make this all about McGregor. I want to talk a little about Ian Gary. And the, the points you made there, right, it's a very interesting one because from the, the second Ian Gary made his pro debut and I got him on the podcast and I, you know, I've been talking about him and I've said, you know, he's very good. People have been saying, cool down, you know, calm it down now, you don't want to rush him, you don't want to get, you know, I'll, and I, I think, you know, Chris Fields even, you know, who was his coach up until his last fight, I remember uh, after that interview I did with him, which kind of went viral, you know, the Barnsley and thing with Bellator replying to it saying, who's this kid, and, you know, then he goes and wins the cage or signed by the UFC, and they very quickly found out, I suppose, but... I remember the next time Chris Fields was calling me a rat and everything, in a in a very jokey matter, of course. Uh, you know, for uh, for kind of getting that out of him, but I, I I wasn't getting it out of him. He had that himself, you know. He had that he or he has that aura. He has that ability to speak and everything like that. And he has, you know, the great team behind him improved every time. We we used to talk about it, you know, on the podcast. He made a few mistakes, got hit a couple of times, and then he kind of give out to me afterwards in the next interview, maybe. And then he'd look better in the fight coming up, and he'd look better again and again. But for the first time ever, and it's funny to say it, the you know, a day or two days after he signs for UFC, there is questions about. Ian Gary, you know, because he has obviously broken up with his team. We've we've seen that now, you know, we've, it was kind of smoking mirrors there for a while and I asked him about it and everything and he came out after the fight. Um, no news yet on where he is going to train. Now, maybe there is, but I haven't heard it or hasn't come out and said it. Um, so, you know, we I think we spoke after he, he won the title against Jack Grant and I think me and you agreed, and we've always been on this side of it anyway, whether it's Ian Gary or whether it's other people, to have an extra fight, have it maybe two fights, and then go to the UFC, get your next camp sorted, get your next load of training partners, your coach sorted, maybe you'll go to a coach and you don't like him and you won't need to find, find someone else, you know, uh, it's, it's a big move going to the UFC now and signing for the UFC now, when... He said to me in that interview, and I talked about the Barnsley, and he said about Bellator, like, you can go and you can get the quick money now, or you can wait and do it the right way and get there. Well, <laughs> you know, he's, okay, he's done it the right way and got there, and he's won his Cage Warriors title, but, you know, it, it feels like it, if you were someone who was looking at a 23-year-old prospect from the very outside, and it's easy to say it from the outside, it's much harder to do it from the inside, but if you were to say a 23-year-old prospect looking for a new team... Uh, just won a championship in one organization would you be better off staying there maybe getting a little bit of an easier fight maybe two fights bedding down in a new camp and then moving on and then fighting the like i put up a tweet uh, there yesterday yeah, i think but uh, 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 just i'll over to you after this but I, I put up a tweet and said um who should ian gary fight in his first fight and the replies 
the replies were like fucking Cameron Usman and I know they were joking maybe some of them Mike Perry people were calling for and Danny Roberts and other people as well some very good names some big names uh, that people want to fight Ian Gary for so that's the lofty competition he's been put into and we've seen what's happened with the Cage Warriors fighters over the last while especially the champions that have come through the guys have been thrown to the wolves look at Jai Herbert look at the tough matchups he's got and uh look at Reese McKee coming in he wasn't even the champion in Cage Warriors yet and look what they threw him into now I don't think Ian Gary's going to get anything easier if, uh, easier if past his prologue as well and it's a dangerous dangerous time to do it now I'm not that doesn't mean I'm saying I think he's going to lose or I think it's going to go badly for him or anything like that but it's a big big move and a brave move and a big statement and there's look if Ian Gary had gone in there and Chris Fields and everyone had been in his corner in the last time and everything was fine and dandy I, we wouldn't be making these uh, statements or saying these sort of things but it is it is a thing now for him I suppose to find out himself to him for him to start out in his team and for it to go to kind of the next level so look it's interesting we, everyone Ian Gary everyone on Irish MMA me you and everyone covering Irish MMA hopes he can get it right and do do the right thing and, and get to the, the right place but it's a, a big up in the air in the moment but um yeah what, what were you going to say about that before we move on maybe to, to another yeah. part about this debate absolutely i was going to say pretty much what you said i was uh, a lot of what you said there i was going to say as well you know obviously it's, it does it does seem a bit rushed i agree with you there especially you know having listened to him over the years and uh the party kind of wanted to take the slow road but you know nearly all the time when the ufc come in with an offer you take it you know it's a big step up in, in money obviously you know he said things in the past about Bellator and money but you know he's in the UFC he's where he wanted to be uh, He that was the goal so he's, he's, he's going to get paid more he's obviously you know a very confident self-confident individual uh, these guys have to be you know these, these top uh, MMA guys they all have a ridiculous self-belief like you know uh, if you're a lightweight, you're, you're you're going out there thinking I can beat the best lightweight. If you're the heavyweight, you're thinking I can beat the best heavyweight. You have to have that mentality, and he does. And you know, he's he's not thinking, oh, I'm going to go in there and end up like you know uh, a Joy Herbert or a Reese McKee, a couple of difficult matchups maybe that I, I lose, and then you know I'm kind of I'm kind of forgotten by the wayside. But uh, you know, the other side of the coin is if you go in there and you beat a you know. Uh, a top guy or a really savvy UFC veteran who's the next guy, you know, uh, three months, four months down the line, you're, you're having another step up and then all of a sudden you're fighting a top 15 guy and, you know, maybe a couple of extra fights in cage wires would have been beneficial then, but, you know, also on the other side, maybe he'll go in and win, win those. And, you know, I just think it's a little rushed. Like if you had a team, it'd be it'd be much easier to to think it was the right time. But you know, obviously, we don't know when he's going to fight yet. We 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 don't really know what's going on. Maybe maybe he will take a bit of time to get a team together before they they put him in a fight. Maybe they're in no rush to to book him. But yeah. um, I don't think you know the the matchmakers, as we've talked about in the past, are putting that much. Um, uh, time and effort into the the journey to kind of build these guys up so it's kind of a lottery who he's going to get so it'll be interesting to see yeah and we must remember as well he carried an injury into the you know his last fight and got a big cut as well I'm sure the cut is okay but he was talking afterwards about the injury he carried into that fight so whether that's a thing of it's it's going to be healing it's all right it was only you know a six week thing and he, he might be all right already or something or it's something more serious we, we don't know that either i suppose but um you know london is coming up on september 4th a lot of people you know well, allegedly that's the, the talk uh, out there with the the covid and everything like that we don't know what's going to happen from from one day to the next but um you would think we're two months out from that not even what a month and a half out from that he's i was looking at his instagram today he's out in all this still so i'm not sure if that would be the wisest in the world to take or if that's what's going to happen but he, he did just come from a you know a camp but when he's as we mentioned finding a new camp and everything it's 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 a big interesting one look it was there was a bit of back and forth as well i'm not going to get into this drama again because we spoke a lot about it and i'd rather focus on on the fight itself and i want to say something uh else about Ian gary in a second but like Graham Boylan put up about you know congratulations to Ian Gary but then he put up congratulations to like Chris Fields and stuff as well and um 
Lana Lee put up, you know, who's his, uh, I believe his his partner and his uh, business uh, business partner as well, I suppose, or his manager, you could say that everyone started calling her, put like hashtag uncoachable on his uh, Instagram, which we saw in the Team KF uh press release so there's obviously if people are talking about maybe them getting back together to him with his team kf um and it doesn't seem like it at the moment after those sort of things but um that it, that's obviously yeah, no, it is a pity though for yeah. for chris and the guys awesome, uh yeah. obviously tom you know it would have been a very proud moment for that gym having yeah. a ufc fighter so quick and you know the the the, the obviously the cage warriors title would have been a big moment as well but obviously you know the ufc is kind of the the pinnacle and as coaches they obviously you know took them 99 95% of the way and then obviously the falling out is, is very disappointing and I say you know underneath it all it must be disappointing for for Ian as well so obviously there's a bit of a you know this could have been a kind of happier occasion for yeah. for the whole Irish MMA scene but it's obviously very very good news and fantastic for Ian and fantastic for the MMA and the Irish MMA scene yeah 100% definitely and like a lot of people after the signing and a lot of people throughout Gary's time you know with him with us talking about him and even on the bigger podcast and every time someone mentions who's it going to be you know the, the next guy coming through to the UFC people are always saying like is he good enough is he uh, <laughs> does he have the game is it all talk or anything like that he has the game he is good enough. He is very, very good. Like his ground game is fantastic. He has submissions. He's strong. He's athletic. He's fast. He hits very hard. He improves all the time. Look, the issue obviously is the camping. But if he can get into yeah. a good camp and keep improving like that, he definitely has the ability. He like yeah, he ticks all the boxes yeah, in terms of 100%. the boxes in terms of ability, and he's a, he's a fantastic prospect. You know, he's a he's a fantastic. Uh, fighter already you need you kind of need to stop calling some of these guys prospects when they you know win cage warriors titles and sign for the ufc and stuff but obviously because of his age he is but uh he's had a, he's had a lot of amateur fights he's had a lot of pro fights he's looked fantastic like uh, improving fight to fight as you mentioned uh he's, he really is a brilliant prospect and somebody who, who you know has a, has a lot of room to grow and, and as well and has been shown that he can grow and maybe you know sometimes an, a new team can teach you when he does find a new team a new team can teach you you know new tricks and to add to new new uh, things to add to his arsenal yeah like yeah look hopefully i think everyone's probably hoping that's it you know the the loss of the old gym with the new gym if he can get uh, into a new one will uh, will add another bit to him but look I, I don't often say it i suppose and people listening to these podcasts and listen to the q a often ask me uh and I, I actually, I hate when people say, oh, I often get asked, but I literally do because it's on the Q&A and the receipts are there, so you go see it. But like, they ask me what uh, someone's ceiling is, you know, where they can get to, where they can fight to. And I very, very, very rarely say that someone has a top five ceiling even or a championship ceiling. But I think with Ian Gary's ability, he has. he ha- Ian Gary has a, a, a world title ceiling. That's where he could get to. Now, all has to go right. He has to... The, the next move is the biggest one. Make absolutely no mistake about that. If he picks the wrong camp or he goes somewhere else or he goes rogue or something bad happens, he will not be a champion. Absolutely will not be a champion. But if it goes right, if he makes the right move, if he even goes back to TKF, if it was that possible, or if he you know, gets the right camp, whatever camp it might be that suits him and is, is right for him, I, I think he has that, that potential. He is that good. But... We've seen people who were that good before, you know? We've seen people who are that good and not reach them. We've seen people who maybe weren't that good and they still reached it because they picked the right camper, they had the right coach, or they, it hit right at the right time. Like, look at Michael Bisping. I don't think he's as talented as some guys coming through, but he got there because yeah. he met with Jason Perillo. He's, and, a great ex- yeah. he's a great example. You know, he, he you know uprooted his life, went over to a different country, trained, and he fell a few, you know, hurdle, uh, final hurdles. And he still, you know got it done he was out on a movie set he got a call to fight a guy who'd beaten him handily for the title when he told ariel in an interview that uh previously that he'd kind of kind of given up hope and come to terms with the fact that he may never be a champion or would never be a champion so a lot of it is about time being in the right time at the right place and being ready and you know uh, uh, sometimes it, it doesn't always come down to who has the the best all-round talent and abilities yeah but it's it's coming more down to that you know and i think mma is becoming more uh, I think that is controlled, and that means the best become the best. That's why we're seeing 
better and closer fights. Maybe not as exciting, but I think MMA is really going that way. It's becoming MMA was a sport that was very hard to control, but it's coming. I think it's becoming more controllable. I was talking to you know Dan Hardy about it the last days. We, we uh, last week as we we came up and talked about the McGregor fight, and he was he said something to me which I've I've thought about a lot since. He's like someone in the future who they call a southpaw or an orthodox fighter it will only be half a fighter if you could only punch from one side or if you're going to fight from one side you won't be as well-rounded as the best people in the world and I've, i like if you just think about that and think about let's say if that is true in five years time that will make the sports very very different like very very different and uh, that's the level you have to be reaching for in in a few years time you know Ian Gary at the age of 28 uh, in five years' time, that's where he will need to be. You know, someone who is that good and has no gaps at all. So, uh, look, I'm looking forward to to the Dean Gary movement, and I'm looking forward to seeing all the rest of the guys coming through KJR as well. Because you know, we talked a lot about McGregor at that time when he broke through that gate, and people saw him doing it. And he, you know, he Martin obviously said he he got over the wall and he pulled the rest of us up with him. I think for the, I bet you Paul Hughes in training, if he's getting back after the the injury that he had, I bet you he's another little pep in his step now to think, right, they're looking at us, they see us, we know they see us, but the Irish are coming again and here we go. And the same for maybe for Joel McCulgan, even, even though he taught me the last time that, you know, it might never happen, but he's the champion now as well. And I bet you he'll be thinking about it. And I bet you all the rest of them as well, John Mitchell and, you know, Palahan making his debut, who signed with uh, Combatches America. Um, to go over there and fight, they'll all be thinking about it, and um, you know, I think it's yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's great for them reinvigorating. You yeah. know, it's been it's been difficult, very difficult for the Irish MMA community and the Irish MMA fighters with you know all the stuff around Jericho Valio, the lack of shows, the obviously coronavirus now these days, uh, the last year or so. Uh, these guys kind of have had their career stalled by no no fault of their own and it's great for Irish MMA to see you know Ian Gary being signed and Joe McCoggan being Cage Warriors champion in the conversation here like could he get signed to the UFC Paul Hughes another great prospect you know if he puts a couple of wins together could he get signed for the UFC like the Irish MMA community needs this he needs these guys coming through and as you mentioned the other guys looking looking up it's kind of you know, shows them that maybe, you know, everything's getting back to normal and that they can kind of, you know, start aiming for the the heights of the UFC or, or huge fights like uh, for Cage Warriors titles or big Bellator fights or yeah. wherever, KSW, like, you know, just just getting themselves to, to the mm-hmm. level that they kind of uh, haven't had the chance to because of the surrounding circumstances out of their control. Yeah, and I, look, there was this thing as well a while back with all the fighters going to Bellator and I think there was some people trying to push these narratives that it was the end of Irish MMA and the end of, of MMA and, and you know around this part of the world but look MMA is a very is a thing that's very short term and it changes very quickly um, and you know when it, whenever there's big negatives like that I think they can be turned around very quickly and we see it now you know we were seeing it Dean Barry is there as well hopefully he'll be making his debut soon but um, you know hopefully this is another turning point for Irish MMA yeah, you know we so many Irish people in the in the UFC are in discussion. I even forgot about one. Well, uh, Dean Barry, <laughs> sure. Lauren Murphy got a title shot as well. So there you go. You know, Lauren Murphy. Uh, Sean, Sean O'Malley's not doing bad Sean, as well. Sean Brady, what a what a fighter he is. So that's very good. Um, and another one. Look, speaking of Irish MMA fighters as well, we have to mention Conor McGregor as well because it's it's a week out now. From the fight, and I suppose I, I I did a podcast the other day, and I gave maybe my final thoughts. But a few things have come out since then, and we we ha- we have to discuss them. It would be uh, it'd be wrong, I suppose, if we didn't. Um, so he put out. Look, he he did that video on Instagram where he said that he was injured coming into it. John Kavanagh had already said he was injured coming into it in that interview he did with Laura Sanko. Um, he said that the UFC, I, I don't want to, par- I'm paraphrasing here now, so go and look at the exact uh, words that he said, but he said the UFC knew, the the UFC doctors knew, and other people knew. He put up screenshots, or uh, photos then of his ankle wrapped and his ankle in ice and everything like that. Um and uh, some, I think uh, like doctors have talked about it and different people. The people I've talked to all kind of go along with this, the case that if, the, if there was a stress fracture there, kicking it uh, hard into someone else's leg and then ultimately stepping back in it is absolutely a way to break a leg. Now, 
who do you want to blame for that? Is that Conor McGregor's fault for knowing that could have happened with a stretch fracture? Is it the doctor's fault? Is it the commission's fault for not examining him well enough? I, I don't know. You could We could have that debate all week. You know, McGregor has, in the past, just refused to pull out of fights. We know that is one thing for a fact as well. I don't want to give my opinion too much of this, to be honest, because I'm sick of giving my opinion on this thing, because no matter what I said, if I come out here and said Conor McGregor is the worst human being to ever live on planet Earth, I would have people... Just give going going on giving out a mad about me. You aren't harsh enough on him. So I don't know what to say at this stage. But it's look, it does seem like the injury was real coming in, and that you like we talk about game planning, right? And if we were to look at the game plan for Conor McGregor without an injury, I think it was probably a good one. Now it didn't end up going well in the end. But if you're coming in and you have that injury, yeah. kicking that leg is not the fucking smartest thing in the world to do, is it? Yeah. Well, obviously, you know, it depends when this injury happened, how far out. Like, if you're training for two months for a certain game plan and then two weeks out, just before you head over to, you know, start finishing the weight cut and all that, doing fight week, if, if it happened, it depends when it happened. You know, can you just change up the game plan completely at the last second? Like, if if you do have to change the game plan up at the last second, you probably should be pulling out of the fight. Like, you, it sounds like, you know, like most fighters would have pulled out of, would have pulled out of that fight you mentioned in the, obviously in the past he's fought with some, some other bad injuries uh, Chad Mendes one as well documented in our documentaries obviously so you know sometimes people need to be saved from themselves and you, you think that if, if the UFC doctors knew if all these guys knew if everybody you know uh, with influence around around them um, knew how bad this was then you know, you think maybe you can delay this fight. You know, you you don't have to cancel the fight. You can stick it a month later or, or whatever, and nobody's gonna, you know, these things happen in MMA all the time. Nobody's gonna bat too fucking too. What's what's the saying? I think a big issue with McGregor is, you know, you said people around him should have said it. I think a big issue with him is not like I'm not. I'm not going to go out here and like I. I and I've said it to Conor McGregor himself in the interview I did with him about this whole yes man thing. And also, if anyone says I'm avoiding that, go and listen to that interview. And I asked him straight out about it. So, but I, I think it's more right. Not it's it's less about you, you can you can you can tell somebody something and they can not listen as well. You know, That's you can true. say here, I think this is a bad idea. You can say here, exactly. Uh, like I think you know, you, let, let, let's get a second opinion or let's get a third opinion. Yeah, Who knows yeah. what's going let's on? Let's get an over opinion there. I like. Let's get an opinion I like. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? The, so you... we don't we don't know what's going on there. I wasn't mm-hmm. there. I I don't know. I know as much as you about it. You could look, yeah, I know, yeah, hundred percent. But we've seen in the documentary before, and like, you could probably tell us about it. But like he is. I think anyone looking at Conor McGregor from the outside or seeing that documentary very much knows that he's a guy who uh, dances to his own tune. You know, he is not going to listen to other people um, in terms of like the big decisions that he needs to be made. Like I'm sure if Owen Roddy comes in or John Kavanagh comes in and says, "Here's a new technique. Here's a fight we saw. Here's something," I'm absolutely sure he'd look at that. But in terms of these big sort of decisions, I would not blame the people around him for not having the influence on him to get him to say pull out of a fight if they knew about this injury because Conor McGregor is such a huge uh, personality, such a, a self, um, you know, I, I don't know what the word is. Self-assured. Like, self-assured, yeah. He's like confident. John Kavanagh you know, He's probably thinking, past, oh, well, I'll just, I'll, just, I'll just rattle a few leg kicks in here, throw a few left hands and I'll get it done quickly and then I can rest the leg or whatever yeah. the shin or the, the ankle or whatever the problem is you know these guys as I said earlier with Ian Gary and you know these guys have to have this like mentality of overcoming anything you know they, they have this insane um, self-belief and drive and kind of uh, narrow-mindedness uh, about getting this job done yeah absolutely and I th- look I think as well a thing about a thing about it with Conor McGregor is he's, there's so much money on the line here and that that self-belief where you th- he probably thinks he is going to knock him out in a few seconds is it, it all leads to me believe and, and and well it look it leads to me to believe that 
if you're to, who are you to blame for the, for this happening? Who are you to blame for it all happening? Is it, look, it, it's at the door of Conor McGregor himself, and I'm sure he's probably you know in the cold light of day. And he said it himself. He said some up and down moments, but I'm sure he's like thinking, why the fuck didn't I pull out of this? I wouldn't, I wouldn't have had this year of rehab. Okay, maybe I'd have two or three months of rehab, and we could put it on at the end of the year, maybe, uh, and get the, those stress fractures fixed or whatever it might be. Um, I'm sure he's thinking that, but there's also this thing as well, and it's a part that people just do, will not believe this. Like, there'll be some people listening to this now, and they'll be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Why are you giving this any credence? What happened in the fight happened. Like, someone last week kind of uh, sent me a thing and said, "We look, the fight itself, we talked about the, the parts of it that we did, and we did it okay, but then the, we didn't give uh, Paria enough um, uh, credit for the win. And I think it's a very difficult one because to me it's like one of those fights. Say, do you remember that time Jake Ellenberger got caught in the fence and he couldn't get out and he ended up losing by TKO? I can't even remember who fought him. You know, I cannot even remember who fought him. That was the story of the fight. McGregor getting injured is the story of this fight. And that's shitty for Dustin Poirier, but it just is the story of this fight coming in. And do you know what the problem with it is? Habib when he beat Connor, the story of the fight after that okay if if the, the jumping out of the cage hadn't happened it probably would have been Connor McGregor losing more than Habib winning that is just a matter of factness of of this situation and also when anything happens with McGregor when something happens like this there will be a pe- a certain cohort of people who refuse to believe it who refuse to believe any of these injuries are real and there will be a cohort of people that think 100% everything that Conor McGregor, John Cavanaugh, Owen Roddy say is 100% correct. And like we have to try to find a, a medium in the middle. And finding that medium in the middle will make both of those people <laughs> extremely mad. Now, this will probably be the last week we talk about it for a while. So that's all well and good. I won't be getting as much abuse. But if you feel like abusing me, let me know it. But keep keep listening, please. <laughs> keep, keep, keep listening. But I, like, I think the reaction to it has been a very similar reaction to a lot of McGregor fights, but I think with a lot more vitriolic kind of anti-McGregor stuff because of the shit McGregor talked and because of his um, terrible promos all week. I, I think really it is it, but 1.8 million people still tuned in. And I look, I didn't like what McGregor did all week. His reaction afterwards absolutely didn't like it at all, but... If we're in combat sports and he's still there, like I, I wish it wasn't this way. I wish Wonderboy was the biggest draw in the sport because I absolutely love Wonderboy. But that's just the way it is. What, what have you thought of like the, I suppose the breakdown of that fight, uh, fight all week from a fighting point of view? First of all, I suppose, but also from like a reaction to what happened point of view. Well, I think yeah, I think if people are on Parry's side, if you kind of say anything that isn't full credit to Dustin, they they think like you're you're discrediting him or something. But it's it's not the case, you know. Obviously, as you said, when when something like this happens, you know, uh, for example, a similar thing happened Weidman and Anderson. The story wasn't, oh my God, there's a new champion for the first time in how many years? Anderson mm-hmm. Silva, the legend's finally been defeated. It was, oh my God, like he fucking broke his leg. Well, the the leg break was the second fight. Oh, sorry, sorry. You're right though at the same time. No, the story was actually, sorry, the story was, Mm. oh, Anderson was clowning around. It it took away. But yeah, that point kind of falls by the wayside a little bit. But but the point still stands though, even if you forget the leg break, if you look at the first fight, people were saying Anderson was clowning and it was him. And I remember watching that fight and I was like, Oh, oh, he got knocked out, you know, like, it, it was it was more, when you were watching that live, it was about Anderson clowning, then you were watching the second fight, Weidman won again, the, the difference between that fight and the McGregor fight is even more so, like, Poirier, I don't think anyone can argue Poirier did a technique to win that fight against McGregor, no one could argue that, right? You could argue McGregor's techniques that he threw were foolhardy because he was injured, but Weidman did. No, people are people are arguing. People are saying that it was a le- it was like the UFC broadcast and all was saying well, that it was did, a, yeah, a check was... a check leg kick, and I think that that like you know influences some people as well. It, it like does. I think Joe Rogan was talking about some kickboxer had sent him some video yeah. or something. I don't know. I didn't really click yeah, into it. They were, but, uh, they were all stupid. Every single one of them just fell by... Like, if any bit of scrutiny when you didn't want to see it, you know? You did, you weren't looking for the answer. You were actually... Or you weren't looking for a answer. You were looking for the answer. I think all of them fell by the wayside. But if you say the second Anderson actually, Silva... We're, 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 like, you know, we're, we're, like, we're just biased. Especially, we especially biased. me. Uh, oh, well, honestly, but uh, you as well. <laughs> me? What the fuck did I do? I've been awfully accused of bias. But you're Irish. Yeah, like, I'm you know, Irish, yeah. you're Irish, so you must be biased. Yeah. 
I don't know. But I think, think you've got to try and look at it. You, like, you, obviously, it's very hard to take the emotion and all the bias and everything like that mm-hmm. around uh, around the of that. But I think if you look at it as fighter A versus fighter B is, is the best way to do it. And uh, sometimes, like, the emotion and the crowd and the commentators and everything can influence things a bit too much. Uh, at the moment, the, the nervousness, the occasion, everything plays a factor. And people are emotional about this fight because they care either way. You yeah. know, what happens if he wins, if he loses? This is what makes, you know, these fights mean more. There's more jeopardy. You know, I think Rogan and, and whoever else was was a DC on the commentary, they were saying, like, I'm, I'm actually, you know, shaking, nervous here. Like, yeah. I don't know how they these guys do this to us, you know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it's, that's all part of the, the fun. So I wouldn't I wouldn't worry too much. You know, people are people are having uh having their opinions and are shouting them loudly and, you know, fair play to them. But uh you know, I, I just mm-hmm. think, you know, you can only say what you think and you know, you can't cater to, to how people are going to react to what you're saying. <laughs> it's very true, yeah. And look, some people will want us to be biased, <laughs> I'm sure. And, you know, some people want the fan TV thing. This is the first... We could just do, like, BBC or ITV, like, Euro commentary. Yeah. Uh, we can just be absolutely ridiculously biased. <laughs> yeah, dreadful. If, if you think we're biased, just go watch that and yeah. you'll, you'll feel better about us. Yeah. But look, this is the thing we've obviously had to deal with for a long while. I, I don't mind dealing with it, but I... Uh, it's weird for the... F- for the first time ever, watching the fight and going into the fight, I didn't really feel, or, or not watching the fight, but going into the fight, I didn't really feel any of that. You know, we were very much talking about it down the middle. I picked Poria. I think a lot of the Irish people pick Poria. And some people give it out to us, calling me anti-Irish for picking Poria. But I've had that before as well. Um, but, like, watching the fight, I, I watched it, and maybe it's because of all the judging shy talking I've been doing over the last while, but I watched it in a very, very fighter A versus fighter B thing, and I think maybe that's because of the amount we talked about the Mendez versus McGregor fight before, and how, when you look at that fighter A versus fighter B, the first round, it's very different than the, like, this is this is Conor McGregor fighting in there. Everyone listening to this podcast has an opinion on Conor McGregor, and if you don't think you're swayed by that opinion, you're going mad. Now, you're probably saying the same about me. But, like, I I don't know. I, I didn't find it in that fight. In past fights, I've looked and I'm like, I was ner- very nervous to see the result. I wasn't, like, nervous that someone would get knocked out or somebody. I was, like, you'll be, like, standing up. Like, oh, what's going to happen? What, you know, one of those, you know, like, watching a fucking penalty shootout if Man United were in there or something. You'd be, you know, or, or just, uh, like, uh, it doesn't matter. Just something big like that. Something with big jeopardy. But this one, I I don't know. Felt It just felt a little bit different. I don't know. It was odd, but... um. Yeah, look, I, I suppose the, the, it's very hard, very hard to analyse um, a McGregor fight. And it's not unlike anything we've ever seen in the sport before, just because of the amount of caring people do about Conor McGregor. You know, it's and, and as well, it's very hard to park. And we've seen this with other people as well, like, you know, even Greg Hardy. It's very hard to park one side of it to talk about another without people thinking like you're ignoring it if we we go out and talk about greg hardy's jab for a half an hour that doesn't mean we're okay with what he's done outside of the cage or allegedly what he's doing outside the cage or the same goes for john jones or the same goes for you know whoever else it might be but sometimes you park that and you look at one side of it and then everyone's like well what about this and what about that well you know we tried to talk about them at other places but however this could be a debate we go around and around about forever but um look I think Dustin Poirier, Conor McGregor, and everyone listening to this podcast probably hopes that Conor McGregor gets back very quickly. Or not, maybe not very quickly, but very healthily. And uh, we can do it again, brother. Do, this, do you know what? I was thinking, this is manna for heaven from for, for Dustin Poirier. Dustin Poirier got two of the biggest fights he'll ever have. The two, the two biggest fights he'll ever have. And now he's getting a third one, probably, because of, of this. This is Dustin Poirier won the fight, and he got another Conor McGregor fight out of it. People are saying, you know, you're not giving credit to Dustin Poirier. He's the victim here. Dustin Poirier is the big, big winner here. Just the huge winner. And he gets a title shot. And he... Dustin Poirier... How lucky is that man? And uh, look, lucky is the wrong word. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, lucky I'm not saying lucky. the wrong word. You're going to get Fuck's sake. Fuck's sake. Shao just... and Dustin Poirier lucky. <laughs> headline but you know, I've hopefully people to listen to the last 30 seconds I talked about there but what a fucking what a result for uh, for Dustin Parry he got it all he got it all paid in full fair play to him um, right there is a UFC card next week and it's the only real big card next week and I will, I will hand it over to Shanti and after this then to talk about uh, the Makachev 
versus Moise's fight, which I'm looking at my topology here and it starts in 10 minutes, so that should be fun. Uh, so there's UFC next week and then nothing else for two weeks. We have UFC 265 after that then. And, um, or, or actually, that's three weeks from here. But there's UFC fight night in, in two weeks as well. But next week, there's a, a pretty good card coming up, to be honest. Um, topped by TJ Dillashaw versus Corey Sandhagen. But we also have uh, Aspen Ladd against Macy Chison, which you know could be a number one contender for the 135 pound title. Uh, Adrian Yanez, who's looked good recently against Randy Costa. Brendan Allen against Punaheli Soriano, who's eight and zero. Um, uh, Shami is fighting Chris Dawkins, and Chris Dawkins is one of the, those up and coming heavyweights as well. Um, who uh, you know who who could be next in line for someone like a Tom Aspinall or something like that. So if you're a UK fan listening to this maybe that's uh, one to keep an eye on uh, Kyler Phillips Ruin Paiva Ma- um, Miranda Maverick against Macy Barber what a fight that is at 125 pound division that could be one of those the winner of that I would suggest will probably be fighting for a title sometime in the next year uh, Mickey Gall is back here a lot of people calling for Mickey Gall to fight um, against Ian Gary in Ian Gary's UFC debut so if he wins here maybe that's it uh, Ian uh, Ian Heinish is on the card as well against uh, Imavov Julio Arce against Andrew Yule Darren Elkins, my boy, Team Sheehan, against Derek Minner, who is, um, I believe he's a training partner of James Gallagher now, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but there's some other good fights as well. Sajara Eubanks is on the card against the 4-0 LC Reed. There's a lot of fucking fights in this. Hannah Goldie against Deanna Baccia and Trevin Jones against Aaron Phillips. There's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 fights in this card. Holy Jesus. But let's talk about the main one, Graham. Um, TJ Dillashaw versus Corey Santagin. TJ has had, what, two years off now? After I wonder what happened to him. I wonder what it could have been. EPO, I believe it was, wasn't it, for TJ Dillashaw? They've done a, a UFC uh, special. I think, it was, I think it was that Mexican steak again. Mexican, Mexican, <laughs> Mexican steak. You know, Canelo steak, yeah, maybe. But uh, it's uh, the start of 2019. Uh, he hasn't fought since against uh, Henry Cejudo, and that seems like an absolute fucking lifetime away uh, at this stage. But, you know, the opposite then can be said, I suppose, for uh, for Corey Sandhagen, who has had an insane time since then. He fought, was it on the same night, the 19th of the 1st? Let me just look here. Yeah, the exact same night he fought against Mario Bautista, fought John Lineker after that, Rafael Asensio, lost to Sterling, beat Morais, beat Edgar, all since then. So this is uh, this is one of those fights where I've looked at Corey Sandhagen over the last year and obviously he lost to Sterling, got choked out in the, what eighty eight seconds and was made look uh, was made look very ordinary in that fight, but come back and look fantastic. I've seen um, the the coming out of a very good fighter who is like a new level of MMA in a lot of ways, whereas T J Dillashaw was that before and he once was that. T J Dillashaw. Two years out of the game, and let me just look at his age here. What age is he? I can't, 35 years of age for a small guy at 135 pounds. Uh, this is going to be a tough fight for TJ Dillashaw, isn't it? Like, uh, at their best. Yeah, uh, it's no easy comeback. Like, yeah. you know, obviously, he beat Cody Garbrandt back to back impressively uh, in big kind of grudge matches, and then obviously lost to Henry Zahudo, which is there's no shame in that, but. You know, he's been out for a long time since then. He's coming in against a guy who's been very active, as you mentioned. This is a really, really tough fight to pick. Like, there's a lot of questions around around uh, TJ. Obviously, uh, he's been champion before, and uh, he's he's definitely, you know, a, a very, very good guy. He's, he's been an upper echelon guy when we've seen him active, but is he still now? As you said, he's getting on for, for a lighter guy. There's a lot of speed guys at, at that division, like Kirk. Corey Sandhagen is is a is a very good fighter. He's obviously been, you know, uh, he basically only lost to the, the champion uh, Sterling, and as you said, it was a bit of a a one sided fight. But he never really got going in that fight. And Sterling is one of these guys who can kind of, you know, he can do that to anybody nearly. So uh, yeah, this is a really interesting one. It could go either way. It's a real pick and fight. Yeah, it it really really is like. I I would favor Sandhagen just because of all I said coming into him. What have you you know you said there as well that time out in the age and the speed. I think Sandhagen is very powerful as well, and we've seen TJ down through the years knocked out by uh, by Henry Cejudo, knocked out by uh, John Dodson as well. He definitely 
can be got that. And like, okay, those were eight years apart. I know, well, but that, that John Dodson knockout was like a, a flash knockdown that the ref blew, blew it as well, well and stopped the fight. I suppose it was, yeah. But like, the older you get as well at those divisions, I just feel like it will be. And I think, look, TJ throughout his career became harder and harder to hit all the time. Um, got getting knocked knocked out in thirty two seconds. Okay, he went down away and he's back up, but two years out, no longer on the EPO. Um, it's it's a tough tough night for TJ Dillashaw. I think we probably wouldn't been better off long term for taking maybe something easier. But um, yeah, I think uh, I think this one is there for Santagen to take to be honest. But uh, I'm look if you're looking at it from TJ's point of view as well, and you're looking at the Sterling fight, that's the kind of the outlaw I suppose for uh, for uh, Santagen over the last while. If I was TJ, I'd be saying right. Okay, his stand-up is very good, and I'm sure he'll be happy with that. But definitely put a few takedowns in there. Try to get that fight to the ground. TJ's a very good wrestler as well. Um, and I'm sure Sandhagen will be thinking about that. But if he lulls him into a kind of a false sense of security, he can stay safe over the first two or three minutes. Didn't get a takedown. You know, at that time in, land a good bit of ground upon on top. You could see him stealing rounds with takedowns, you know, and well, <laughs> stealing rounds with the takedown and what comes after the takedown, I should say. But, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that fight. I think on defeat, uh, on defeat, look, if you're prime TJ Dillashaw against prime Corey Asensow, or uh, Corey Asensow, Corey Sandhagen, Corey Asensow, <laughs> that's that, where did I get that one from? Um, I, think, <laughs> I, think, um, I think that would be a fantastic matchup. But I'm very interested to see if we have a prime TJ Dillashaw here next Saturday night. It'd be very hard to have one. No, it'd be very, very hard to maintain that two years out when you're 35 years of age. But uh, let's see it. Let's see it. Um, also, as well, before I hand it over to uh, Sean Sheehan here, there was a Bellator fight night um, on Friday night. I saw a lot of people giving out that this was like one of the most boring cards ever, and I'm thankful that I didn't watch it all, to be honest. But um, <laughs> <laughs> Diana Agravasova got a, a split decision win there. Cody Law moved to 4-0 and on the undercard as well there. Johnny Elbin moved to 9-0. and uh, Arlene Blinkow, who will be in line now at £145 for... You know, would it, could it be Liam McCourt? Could it be Chris Cyborg? Could it be um, Sinead Kavanagh? One of those fights. Um, <laughs> Link will be there, and I suppose they're very different sort of fights. But uh, depending on what happens next with Cyborg, I think you know it could be one of the the two Irish ladies who who get uh, get Blinko next. Um, so a, a big win for her there, and a big fight for one of them. Um, uh, Matthias Mattis got a win over CJ Hamilton then, uh, and the, the two big fights. Uh, first of all, I know you watched the Matt Mitrion. Mitrion for, yeah. what, what did you, I want to get your opinion. When I saw this fight, first of all, the first thing I thought of was getting your opinion on it. What did you think of Matt Mitrion's performance here? Oh, God. Uh, I think, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's all you need to say. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, obviously, he was like too busy kind of shouting at the ref about a headbutt to kind of bother to defend himself. Uh, after the the headbutt, but the headbutt, okay, uh, Fortune came in a bit high with his takedown, but Mitrione dipped his head into the head, and they clashed heads, and yeah. there was no there was no like malice in it whatsoever, and it didn't open up a, any kind of big cut or anything like that. So, you know, just get fucking get on with it. It happened like both guys hit heads. You know, uh, the ref didn't stop it, or maybe the ref didn't see it, or you know, uh, you just got to get on with it. You can't just fucking moan the rest of the time until you basically tap out the strikes. Yeah, it didn't even look like it affected him in any way, apart from mentally. It was... Uh, I, I think it was because he was saying, like, it's two fights in a row. He just, like, he just kind of... Yeah, he lost it. The anger, the anger took over. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was... Like, he lost it. He started the injustice of it. Like, yeah. ref, are you fucking <laughs> serious? Like, he just headbutted me, like, two fights in a row. <laughs> it was... If it wasn't tragic, it'd be funny. Like, honestly, but it, I don't know. With Matt Mitrion, he is... Like, I, I was talking on a, on a podcast that I did with uh, with uh, Blake Harrison, which will be coming out next week, I think, about sometimes we're too soft on fighters and we don't like tell the truth about it like if you're looking at this fight how can you not look at it and like criticize matt mitrion for it first of all right okay let, let's say matt mitrion is absolutely right and the referee should have called it for a headbutt right he didn't he didn't call it if you're in a soccer player in the middle of the field and you get fouled and you keep running you're not just going to like stop running because you think it's a foul or you're going to keep going and try to fucking score a goal or whatever your sport it might be you know and if you do you'll get told right quick because someone else will be in and get the ball and take it off you you know Matt Mitrion, he was in a fight, 
The referee did not call it and he just gave up. He Matt Mitrion gave up in this fight and I'm not talking about tapping the strikes. He gave up before that. He decided that he found an out. He found a way like, like, like Conor McGregor sitting the doctor stoppage, doctor stoppage, you know, to kind of save face afterwards. In in his mind, it felt like Matt Mitrion when he got head butted and the head clash. When he got the head clash at that stage, it felt like, right, I have my, my excuses in. Perfect perfect let's just end this fight i have my excuse and we can move on it that's what it felt like and he just like gave up from second one a few shots from tyron fortune or tyrell fortune didn't even try to get out tapped the strikes just typical matt mitrion i think uh, anyone who's seen matt mitrion down through the years this is you know he's very good athlete very strong hits hard good in all areas but like doesn't have the head for it just does not have the head for mma and uh yeah, meathead. <laughs> meathead by name and meathead by nature, I suppose. Look, fair play to Tyrell Fortune. That was a, a well-earned victory. You know, like, like this, you know, we haven't mentioned Fortune here. And he was the one who went out and won and got a guy to tap the strikes. So uh, it can happen, lads. And uh, nah, Matt you're, you're, a Matt, Irish. you're a Matt Mitrion shill. Matt Mitrion shill. <laughs> you dirty American. Where's Matt Mitrion from? You're, I'm an NFL shill. That's what I am. I met you on play like he had a cup of coffee yeah. in the NFL. Like, it was, was kind of. I remember when he was in uh, when he was in the the Ultimate Fighter. There was kind of debate about whether he was putting on an act of being really weird or he was just really yeah, weird. I think he is so, really weird. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe he hammed it up a little bit, but I think he may be quite weird. Yeah, he, <laughs> yeah. he was definitely having up in the fight at the weekend. Yeah, but sure, these things happen. And in the main event, honestly, this is one of the best technical fights I've seen all year this was a fantastic fight and i wasn't expecting it to be honestly between uh juliana velasquez and denise keelholz go out of your way to see this fight if you're just a fan this wasn't a rock'em sock'em robots back and forth you know beat down or anything like this this was just a good old-fashioned technical kickboxing match uh very 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 close juliana velasquez won a split decision moved to 12 and 0 uh denise keelholz moved to 6 and 3 which doesn't look like the best record in the world but she could very easily have been what is it seven and two and being a being a champion here um because it was that close brian minor was the one who scored it the other way and he's one of the best judges in the world so that'll tell you how close this fight was that look some people are giving out about the result those people haven't a clue what they're talking about there was very very close rounds in this um keelholz started brilliantly in the round one um velasquez came back in round two but that was close as well uh round three then i think all three judges had it for velasquez if i'm not mistaken and in four and five were, were close enough as well. Uh, I gave five to Keelholz after the first as well, I think. So I gave the middle three to Velasquez, if I'm not mistaken. People probably see it on my, uh, on my Twitter anyway to, to make out fully. So I did give it to Velasquez and she was the one who got it. But I, I could see it 4-1 to, to Keelholz, to be honest. It was one of those fights very, very... Uh, very very close and very good and i hope they run it back again to be honest because you know that one thing i was thinking about as well coming in watching this fight and the, the interim heavyweight title fight the last time bellator have an awful issue recently of title fights flying under the radar and that's not a thing that's happened that much in mma down through the years just because you know they've been relatively rare even with outside promotions we don't have this shit like in boxing where there's a thousand titles now there's more and more and has been for a few years but I feel like Bellator, if they're putting on title fights, right? They're not. Bellator don't have that many cards a year, you know. Put a big fight. Let's say this was like a, a, a you know a fight night where you had another great card and then one on top. Put a, put a big fight on this, like an MVP, like a Paul Daly, like something like that, which is a non-title fight, and then put this fight on with the interim heavyweight title fight. Put two title fights on the one thing, build it up, two title fights on this, do it that way. I think when you put one on it, and it it, do, it just doesn't look as good, it flies under the radar a little bit, where if you've two titles on it, and maybe one other big fight as well, you make them one of these tin pole cards, you make it a big card. Now, they do that sometimes, and they have them, but I think you need to do that every time, you know? Make all these cards... It, it, look, if MVP's on the top of a card, people are tuning in. If the flyaway title is on the top of the card, people aren't always tuning in. You have to give them a reason. And maybe the same thing uh, can be said about other titles. Put those titles together and make them a reason together. So, that'll be the one. It's not a criticism, really, of Bellator. It's just... Um you know, it's just a, a suggestion, maybe. I really enjoyed this fight, so I couldn't say anything bad about it. And I'm just actually kind of a little bit mad that more people probably weren't tweeting about it and talking about it on uh, on Friday night. But, however, uh, right, thank you, Graham, for joining me. Um, and I'm going to hand it over now to Sean Sheehan to talk about Makachev versus Moises for about two minutes. Good luck. 
Thank you very much, Shani. And yes, it is going to be very quick here because it's currently 20 to 6 in the morning. Um, not a bad card, I would say, but not one with much of note, to be honest. Um, I'll run you through some of the undercard. Nascimento and Gordon got two wins uh, to start off the card. Uh, Sergey Morozov from Kazakhstan cut a great promo after his win against Kari Taha. Amanda Limas, probably the standout in the whole card. Oh, fantastic win there. Two lovely shots. Good stoppage as well by the referee, I think it was Chris Tyone. Um, Ruiz got straight up and she was like, all right, I'm still fighting. But she was clearly hurt, hurt badly. And I thought that was a very, very good stoppage there. At 115 pounds, she's now 10 and 1. Looked very dangerous recently, and I say again tonight. So she's right up there towards the top. Same could be said for Daniel Rodriguez, who moves to 15 and 2 at 170 pounds. I know a lot of people talking about Ian Gary. What about Ian Gary against Daniel Rodriguez? What a fight that would be! Beautiful TKO uh, with punches against Preston Parsons. Look fantastic. That Billy Quarantillo fight against Gabriel. Uh, uh, Benitez, it was going for one that was going to be like 30-24 but Billy Quarantillo ended up, ended up getting the finish um, from the back with a ground and pound from back control um, which was absolutely beautiful but uh, Gabriel Benitez, Mowgli almost knocked him out at the start of the third round so it was one of those complete domination except for basically one punch well Benitez had a little bit more than that, he landed some punches and stuff but um Quarantillo looked good throughout it, to be honest. I think taking too many shots might be his issue. Uh, but, you know, you can't get out to him too much when he's that dominant throughout it. Looked good. Um, Rodolfo Vieira got a lovely rear naked choke. Uh, uh, Dustin Stoffels was doing good, uh, or doing well even. Uh, but he made a, a grave error uh, at one stage. Uh, he was on top. And there was a bit, a bit of a scramble with Vieira, who's the, the world champion jiu-jitsu player, as we know. Um, and instead of settling in a position or kind of pushing to get out, he attempted to get on top himself. Went for a single leg and opened up his back to Vieira. And as they were getting up, Vieira smart enough to... I think on the ground it would have been tougher to just transition and get the back. He actually... I, I maintain he let him get the single leg and get back up so that he could transition out of it. Saw the back was open, took the back. Rear naked stroke immediately. It was, it was that easy. Um, very good performance from... Uh, or a very good finish from Vieira. Now, I wouldn't say the best performance in the world, but uh, that's all you need is the finish. Uh, Din Matthias Gamrat made a light work of Jeremy Stevens. Easy takedown. Uh, an easy uh, double wrist lock submission as... Uh, Shayna Baszler would call it a very, very good. Lot of, I saw all the all the people on on uh, the broadcaster picking Jeremy Stevens, and that's based off of name alone. You know, Gamrat nineteen one now. I I think everyone listening to this podcast and everyone listening uh, reading Sean Denise articles over the last few years knows uh, how good Gamrat is, and you know how good is Norman Park too. Um, for him not to still be around on that stage is uh, is a crying shame. But what a win for Gamrat! Really, really good. 155 pounds. I think he's ready for, you know, if you're fighting Jeremy Stevens, you're ready for a step up, and I wouldn't mind seeing him fighting someone good. What about, we'll get to the main event, but him versus Thiago Moises, I wouldn't mind seeing that fight. I think that'd be a fun fight. Uh, but before we get to the, the, that main event, Misha Tate, uh, I thought she looked smooth. I don't know what you thought. That's what I, the right hands down through the middle from the very start. Uh, I know it was it was thrown and she was she was attempting to get into a slugfest with her at times and Misha Tate was happy enough to do it. You know she looked she looked like she was doing all the right things at all the right times and that's not what you'd expect out of someone who's been out of the cage for five years. Even if they fought at the level Misha has, she looked better. Never she looked really really good. I was able to get the the ground and pound stoppage uh, right near the end. Won the first two. Um, you know, the first one was relatively close, but uh, I think she won won both of those rounds and then was able to get the finish late as well. So, you know, she didn't call out Amanda Nunes by name at the end, but she was like, I'm coming back for that belt. And, uh, yeah, it looks like that's what she wants. So, you know, Misha keeps performing like this. There aren't many, many women in that 135-pound roster who will be able to beat her. So a very, very good performance. And Marion Reno... Uh, 
that's her retirement fight, so I'm looking forward to the next one. Uh, and then in the main event, uh, it was it was a bit of a frustrating watch, to be honest. I literally the, the main event literally ended about five minutes ago, so um the result isn't even up in topology here. I'm looking at it. Uh, Makachev got the rear naked choke in the I think it was fourth round. It's not up here yet, but um my I thought Moises was doing okay early. I gave him a chance in this fight because I thought defensively uh, he would be able to do well and then land a few counters. And I think he actually did pretty well defensively with the striking, but he wasn't able to land any counters. And his circling game was good at the very start, or he tried to do it the right way anyway. Makachev just was absolutely brilliant to cutting off the cage with his footwork. And then he was throwing that left hand down the middle to stop him going either way. But if you're uh, Moises and that happens to you, right, and there's no way out and you get taken down, you have to go back to your circling when the next round starts. And it felt like Makachev took that away from him and Moises never went for it again. And when that happened, that fight was absolutely over. Because when you can't circle away, you turn into Anthony Pettis. And okay, you might get a guillotine, or you might get a leg lock or something like that, which we haven't seen in the UFC in 15 years. Uh, you might get one of them, but probably not. And what probably is going to happen is Makachev is going to throw those left hands down the middle. He's going to take you down. He's going to wear you out. Um, and as Michael Bisping said in the commentary, there's going to be a look of defeat on your face when you're going back to your corner. And uh, that's what happened. Like, I genuinely think if you go back and watch that fight, and it was about maybe three minutes in, two or three minutes in, you could see a look on Moise's face where he realized he can no longer cut off the cage. Um, or he can no longer s- stop Makacha from cutting off the cage. So he could not, no- he could no longer circle. And from that point on, the fight was over, to be honest. I th- honestly, I, when I saw that, when I saw him stop trying to circle, and I'm not saying he gave up, and I'm not saying he stopped trying to fight, he did try different things, he went for a leg lock and a toe hold, and he was, you know, he was trying to land a few shots, didn't throw that many shots, didn't land that many shots, but uh, he by no means gave up, but he was kind of beaten at that stage, he took the fight out of him, Makachev, with his footwork alone, I thought it was very, very evident the way he he fought from kind of that point on, but uh, a very good performance from Makachev, that to me, footwork and cutting off the cage. If you're that sort of a fighter, is brilliant because you Habib didn't really have that. You know, Habib didn't have that excellent footwork and that striking to get inside. Habib was just like run at you and do smart things and run at run in smart places. But it was very much head down, go forward, throw his body at you in a position where he's going to frighten you into not hitting him and then take you down. McAdjev, I think, is a lot more uh, basic-oriented... Basic is the wrong word. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, Technique-oriented, I suppose it would be, or, or, you know, doing the right things at the right time. Um, Fundamentals, that's the word I was looking for. Fundamental-oriented with his footwork and with the way he cuts it off the cage. And uh, going forward... 19 and 1 now. There's a lot of guys going to be very quick to avoid Islam Makachev, and I think they'd probably be fucking right too. Right, lads, I'm going to bed. God bless you all. Thanks very much for listening. Manscaped, 20% off, free shipping, promo code SevereMMA. Sign up, patreon.com forward slash SevereMMA podcast. I love the QA out and everything like that. See y'all. Good luck.